morning and turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. For those of you who are visiting, we've been working our way through the uh, book of John, the gospel according to John, and uh, we're currently in chapter 6, and we'll look at a portion of this uh, chapter this morning. And uh, this is Labor Day weekend. I think uh, a passage that we had for our scripture reading uh, was appropriate. It also has an uh, impact upon our message this morning, and uh, I think this message is appropriate for Labor Day weekend as well. Uh, the question I have this morning is, what are you seeking in life? Uh, we spoke about this last week, how people try Jesus. Uh, they have a bumper sticker that says, try Jesus, and they try to get other people. Well, you just try him and he'll make you happy. I've even seen some signs in our area here that says, try church. Now, I don't know if you're here just to try this church or if you're here to try Jesus, but I'm telling you, just trying won't do it. Uh, uh, we don't just come to try Jesus, but we come uh, to seek him uh, who uh, came to seek us uh, who were lost. Now, let's be honest. How many of you would rather be happy than sad? You'd rather be happy than sad. I think most of us would say that. How about how many would rather be happy than mad? You know, uh, nobody likes being mad, uh, although we seem to get that way sometimes, don't we? Uh, there seems to be a lot of people walking around in our world today who are either extremely sad or they're always mad at something or somebody. In fact, I've noticed there are times when it seems to be the case here in our church. You say, preacher, that's a pretty serious accusation. Well, as Isaiah said, your countenance doth witness against you. Listen, do you really want to be known as a grouchy old man or a crotchety old woman? By the way, those of you that are younger, you can have the same problem. You say, wow, preacher, you're really not messing around this morning, are you? By the way, I hope this isn't anybody's relatives here in the church this morning. <laughs> but I dare say, we are all seeking happiness or satisfaction in life. But the question is, where are you looking for that happiness? And if you think you're going to find happiness, the question is, how are you working for it? Some think they'll find it in financial success or a satisfying career or a successful business. Uh, or they do, so they devote themselves to those pursuits. Many try to find pleasure in alcohol or drugs only to find that they destroy their lives. Some seek happiness through marriage and children. Now, a happy family is a blessing from God. But it should never become our main source of happiness because we can easily lose our families even through the death of a loved one. And often our families can be the source of great pain. Everybody said, Amen. Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> you know, sometimes... Uh, we get discouraged with some of our family members because they're not quite living like they ought to live. Sometimes our children can make wrong choices and they can greatly disappoint us. 
But as Solomon made it clear in Ecclesiastes, any earthly thing that you seek to satisfy the inner void is not going to satisfy. Uh, He says it's vanity or emptiness. It'd be like chasing soap bubbles. You catch one only to have it burst in your hand. Now the Bible is clear that our ultimate source of happiness and pleasure is found only in God. David wrote in Psalm 16 and verse 11, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is the fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Jesus told his disciples in John 15 and verse 11, These things have I written unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. You know, we're going to find the fullness of joy and the pleasures forever when we seek God. It was A.W. Tozer who begins his spiritual classic, The Pursuit of God, that pointed out that before a man can seek God, God must have first sought the man. Paul says in Romans 3 and verse 11, There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. Again, Tozer uh, adds, we pursue God because and only because he has first put an urge within us that spurs us on to the pursuit. And so we can't take credit for our pursuit of God. And yet at the same time, the Bible clearly exhorts everyone, including the ungodly, to seek the Lord. Isaiah 55, 6 and 7 calls to us, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. And so there's a mystery here. No one can come to Jesus unless the Father draws him. We see that in verse 44 of our, our chapter here. And yet we are commanded to come to Jesus and to seek him diligently. We began by seeking him for the mercy of salvation, and we keep seeking him for the grace to live in a manner that pleases him. It's a lifelong quest. The prophet Hosea said in Hosea 6 and verse 3, Then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord. His going forth is prepared as the morning. He shall come unto us as the rain, as the latter and former rain unto the earth. The apostle Paul echoes that in Philippians 3 and verses 7 through 11, where he says, that he has counted all his former gains as loss for the surpassing value of knowing Christ. And even though he had known Christ for about 25 years, when he wrote this letter, he admits that he had not yet attained what he desired. He said in Philippians 3.14, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Again, let me quote A.W. Tozer. He put it like this. Come near to the holy men of, and women of the past and you'll soon feel the heat of their desire after God. They mourned for him. They prayed and wrestled and sought for him day and night, in season and out. And when they found, had found him, the finding was all the sweeter for the long seeking. Complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. Now, in our text here, in John chapter 6, 
We find that uh, in verse 24, it says, When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. They came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. The morning after the miracle, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 or 20,000 as it might have been, The morning they couldn't find Jesus. They knew that he had not left in the boat when the disciples had. And there had not been any other boats there that night. But they couldn't find him. So when some small boats from Tiberias came there, these people got into the boats and went to Capernaum to search of Jesus, in their search for Jesus. And their question when they found him is found in verse 25. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? It shows that they couldn't figure out just how he got there because they didn't know that he had walked on the water to his disciples. You know, Jesus could have said, well, I got here early this morning after I walked on the water with the disciples and joined them in the boat. He could have explained it. The answer would have caused some jaws to drop. He could have meant, they could have said, wow, that's, that's really neat. Do you have to walk on the water? You know, but Jesus didn't answer their question. Instead, he confronted them because even though they had gone to a good bit of trouble to seek him, they were seeking him for the wrong reason. They sought him because they wanted a political Messiah. Someone to bring peace and prosperity. By reversing their negative example into a positive one, we can learn how to seek Jesus rightly. We need to seek Jesus for the right reason, by the right route, and through the right relationship to give us eternal life. And we spoke about this last time. Those who were seeking Jesus for the wrong reason, they wanted him to provide them some material comfort, not with eternal life. They were seeking by the wrong route, by works and not by faith. And they were seeking Jesus as the new Moses to provide them for what they wanted and not as the satisfying bread of life when they could know him personally. So notice, first of all, seek Jesus for the right reason. Seek Jesus for the right reason. Notice the right reason here. In verse 22, it says, The day following, when the people stood on the other side of the sea, saw that there were none other boat, save the one wherein the disciples were entered, and Jesus went not with the disciples into boat, they, uh, but that his disciples were gone away. Howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias, nigh unto the place where they did eat bread, after the Lord had given thanks. And when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for the meat that endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. He said, You seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because you did eat and were filled. It means that they had missed the true significance of the miracle. 
and rightly understood the miracle of the loaves and the fishes should be turned, uh, should have turned them to Christ as their Messiah. He could satisfy their spiritual hunger from for time and eternity. Instead of seeing the bread in the bread, a sign they had seen in the sign, only the bread. Their minds were on the temporal, on the material, rather than on the eternal and the spiritual. They wanted their stomachs filled, but they weren't seeking Jesus for eternal life. They had no sense of their sin or their need to be reconciled to a holy God. They sought Jesus only for what he could do for them materially. You know, Jesus' words here obviously refute the popular heresy that it's God's will for a Christian to be financially prosperous. That's the uh, wealth and prosperity gospel that's being preached around our country today. The false teachers who promote this damnable teaching are preying on people's greed. And sadly, this teaching is rampant in many poor countries as well as in the United States. And it deceives people into thinking that their real need is more money. When in fact, their real need is eternal life that Jesus Christ can offer. And so Jesus becomes to them kind of like Aladdin's genie to help them get what they want out of life. But it isn't the Savior from sin who satisfies your soul, whether you're rich or poor, living in a nice home or locked up in a cold prison cell. And so Jesus exhorts them there in verse 27. Labor not for the meat that perisheth. Now, Jesus doesn't mean quit your job, okay? Don't anybody go back Tuesday morning and say, I'm quitting. Some of you don't have a job to quit, so you're okay, right? Some of you quit when you retired. <laughs> you say, enough of this work. I'm going to enjoy uh, my retirement. Some of you who retired are still working. Well, Jesus doesn't mean quit your job. He doesn't mean take a vow of poverty. You see, the Bible commands hard work, commands us to provide adequately for our families, does not condemn having earthly riches, although it does warn us about the danger of those riches. And rather, Jesus is showing us by way of contrast where to put our focus. As he said in Mark 8 and verse 36, For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or as Jesus graphically illustrated with the parable of the man who wanted to build bigger barns to store his wealth, but he died that very night to end up rich in his world's goods, but to die poor toward God. And it was a huge mistake. We should not be so caught up with working to put food on the table that we neglect working for meat which endureth unto everlasting life. Now, we'll comment on this more when we get to verse 28 and 29, but I want you to notice here the irony of Jesus' statement that we should work for this food that endures for eternal life, and yet at the same time, the Son of Man gives it to us. This, it's the same as when Jesus exhorted his hearers in Luke chapter 13, verse 24, strive to enter into the straight gate. Or when he said in Matthew 11, verse 12, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, 
the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. Now there's a lot of effort involved in striving. There's a lot of effort in taking a kingdom by force, and yet at the same time, Jesus gives living water to the spiritually thirsty and to the true bread and true bread to of eternal life to the hungry. What does it mean to work for meat which endureth unto everlasting life? How are we to labor? Well, there's but one answer. We must labor in the use of all appointed means. Now, we're not working for our salvation. That's not what he's talking about. But we're working for that which endures for everlasting life. Not endures for everlasting life, but endures unto everlasting life. That is, we're to be working for that which counts for eternity. We must labor in the use of all appointed means. As I said, we must read our Bibles. We read our Bibles like men digging for hidden treasure. If someone told you that uh, there were a hidden treasure chest in your backyard... And all you have to do is find it. Your backyard would look like uh, holes all over the place looking for that treasure. That's how we are to, to get into our Bibles. We must wrestle earnestly in prayer like men contending with a deadly enemy for life. We must take our whole heart to the house of God and worship God and listen like those who listen to the reading of a will. You know, if you were listening to the reading of Uncle Alfred's will, you say, I wonder what he left me. I'm going to listen real closely. Did he leave me anything? I haven't heard it yet. So you keep listening. We don't just sit back and say, well... Uncle Alfred, di- Uncle Alfred died, and now he had something. He left something. I'm sure there's something there. No, we would listen intently. We must fight daily against sin, the world, and the devil, like those who fight for liberty. And we must conquer, or we'll be slaves. There are ways we must walk in if we would find Christ and be found in Him. That's the labor we're talking about. Laboring. It's the secret of getting on about our souls. I want us to think about that. Evaluate yourself in light of what's been said and put it into action. Figure out how to rearrange perhaps your busy schedule so you can take the time and effort to work for food which endureth unto everlasting life. So much of our time is spent for working for food that is here today and gone tomorrow. Now before we leave these verses, I want you to notice three important truths here about Jesus. Jesus knows your motives. He saw right through this crowd that was seeking him. And they were seeking him for the wrong reasons. And he lovingly confronted and exhorted them in a way that they needed to change. When Jesus confronts your wrong motives through his word, you need to pay attention. You need to respond with repentance. You see, Jesus is doing it because he loves you, not to hurt you. 
Secondly, Jesus gives spiritual food to those who seek him properly. He could not do this if he were not God. He knows exactly what you need in order to grow in him. And he'll give it to you when you diligently seek him for it. And then thirdly, Jesus is God's only approved source of spiritual blessing. He says here in verse 27, For him hath God the Father sealed. A seal in that day was something that authenticated a document and showed that the the owner had a seal of approval upon it. The idea is that God has certified the Son as His own agent, authorizing Him as one who, one who alone can give this food. So don't fall prey to any false teaching that diminishes the full deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Seek Him for the food that will endure unto everlasting life. Secondly, seek Jesus by the right route. Now, for some of you in some parts of the country would probably say root, but I say the right route, okay? The right route is by faith, not by works. Look at verse 28 and 29. Then said they unto him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, this is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. By the works of God, we need to understand that those uh, understand those which God demands and of which He approves. Again, Jesus is using irony here. He does not mean that faith is a meritorious work on our part that somehow commends us to God. No, the Bible is clear that faith itself is a gift of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. No, rather Jesus is picking up on their question about works and saying, in effect, you know, the only work that you can do is not work, but rather to believe, to believe in me, the the one whom the Father has sent to provide salvation through my death and resurrection. Now, faith brings nothing to God, but on the contrary, places a man before God as empty and poor, that he might be filled with Christ and with his grace. And so, therefore, we may be allowed the expression, perhaps a passive work to which no reward can be paid. It bestows on man no other righteousness than that which he receives from Christ. You see, seeking to be right with God by works rather than by faith alone is probably the most common spiritual error in the world. All false religions, including some that go under the label of Christian, teach a works approach to salvation. They may teach that we are saved by faith, but not by faith alone, but by faith plus works. But if that is true, then we have grounds for boasting hey see what i did i did pretty good but salvation is not by faith plus works it's by faith alone and the question is how many works do you have to add to your faith to be saved the bible is clear that those who are saved by faith in christ always produce good works 
as a result. The works come as a result of salvation. But it is faith in Christ alone that saves. And as Paul put it in Romans 4, 4 and 5, he said, Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So to seek Jesus and the food that endures eternal life, Come to him as a guilty, helpless sinner and trust entirely in what he did for you when he died on the cross. If you want to fly somewhere, you've got to trust yourself, entrust yourself totally to the pilot and the airplane, don't you? It would be ridiculous to insist on going into the cockpit and helping the pilot fly the plane. Number one, you probably could never get into the cockpit anyway in these days. But it would be ridiculous to insist, I need to be the co-pilot. I haven't got any training, but I'm going to help you with this. That's ridiculous. Even so, it's unwise to tell God, you're going to help Jesus save you by your good works when he has said he will save you if you just trust in him. Put your faith in him. Don't trust in your own good works to justify you when you stand before God someday. Rather, as Acts 16.31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And so there's nothing more important to seek in life than to seek for Jesus and eternal life that he can give. Seek him for the right reason. You need eternal food, not temporal food. Seek him by the right route, not by works, but by faith. And then thirdly, seek Jesus through the right relationship. We must hunger for him to satisfy our souls. Look at verse 30 through 36. They said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat man in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not the bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. And then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I say unto you, that ye also have seen me and believe not. These Jews, who just that day, perhaps the day before, I should say, just the day before had eaten a miraculous meal that came from five loaves and two fish. And they asked Jesus this incredible question. Can you believe it? What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? And then they have the nerve to go on and mention that their fathers ate manna in the wilderness. And behind this request for a sign was the Jewish expectation that when the Messiah come, he's going to renew this miracle of manna. So in spite of Jesus' miraculous feeding of 20,000 or so people, they're asking for more. Jesus fed a large crowd. Moses fed the entire nation. Jesus did it once. Moses did it for 40 years. Jesus provided ordinary bread. Moses gave them bread out of heaven. And so they're saying, okay, 
Jesus, you give us this little sign. Let's see if you can do a big one like Moses did. Then we'll believe you. Isn't that the way we are sometimes? Never satisfied. We always want something bigger and better. Here the people of Jesus' day were deceived, uh, deceiving themselves with the idea they wanted more evidence. They were pretending if they had this evidence they would believe and thousands in every age have done just the same thing. The plain truth is that it's a lack of heart, not a lack of evidence that keeps people from Christ. Jesus responds by correcting them. He says there, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not the bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. He's saying first that it wasn't Moses who gave you that man in the first place. And second, the manna wasn't true bread because people ate it and they still died, didn't they? Jesus, whom God sent, gives eternal life to the world, that is, to all people everywhere who believe in him. The Jews' reply, again, focuses on the material. They were materialistic, and we are often so materialistic. They said, Lord, evermore give us this bread. Now, the word Lord there was not the word that we think of, of honor and respect to the God of heaven, the Lord of heaven. But it's really basically saying, sir, evermore give us this bread. Now, it might be respectful in a sense, but... They were not acknowledging that Jesus is the Lord and master of their lives. They just wanted Jesus to give them a free meal. And so Jesus' reply tells them that the true bread is what the true bread is and how to get it. He said, I am the bread of heaven, or the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. Now this is the first of seven I am metaphors here. He says in chapter 6, 35, I am the bread. Chapter 8, I am the light of the world. Chapter 10, I am the door. Again in chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. In chapter 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Chapter 14, he'll say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And chapter 15, he says, I am the true vine. As we continue our study of this book, we'll certainly say more about each one of these declarations. But for now, just note how astounding the claim is. Jesus is saying he is the source of eternal life and the sustainer of that life for whoever comes to him and believes in him. These Jews were satisfied with their religion and their rituals. They had come uh, down from Moses. They had no longer uh, a hunger for the living bread that Jesus offered. And before you can... Be hungry to eat the living bread. God has to open your eyes to your condition. You see, without Christ, you're spiritually starving. In Christ's day, bread was the main staple in their diet. You could not live without bread. In the same way, you cannot live eternally in the presence of a holy God without Jesus Christ. The Father sent Jesus to this world to bear the sins of all who would believe in Him. Without Him... You're under God's righteous judgment. Now he uses two phrases here. Cometh to me 
and believeth on me. They're parallel phrases. They explain that Jesus, what Jesus means in chapter 6, verse 53, when he talks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. It means to trust in Jesus' death as complete and final payment for your sins. Jesus says that the result of coming to him is that we will not hunger, and the result of believing in him is that we will never thirst. This does not mean that we will not still long to know more and more about the riches of Christ. Rather, it means when we truly believe in Jesus, we are satisfied with him. We have all spiritual blessings in him. We're complete in him. Sadly, these Jews were seeking Jesus for the wrong reason. They wanted him to provide their material needs, but they didn't want to have their spiritual needs met. They sought Jesus by the wrong route, by works and not by faith. And they sought him through the wrong relationship. They wanted him to be a new Moses, a new political leader to bring them peace and prosperity, but they didn't want to come to him personally by faith in faith, to satisfy their spiritual hunger. And Jesus states the tragic result. In verse 36, he says, But I said unto you that ye also have seen me, and believe not. I wonder this morning, what are you seeking in life? Jesus is the only one who can provide true soul satisfaction, both in this life and for eternity. But perhaps you're seeking Jesus in the wrong way. You want him to provide you your temporal needs. But you don't sense your desperate spiritual need for him this morning as the living bread to give you eternal life. And even worse, maybe you're not seeking Jesus at all. You're a heartbeat away from standing before God in judgment. And yet you don't even see your desperate condition. I trust that to this morning... That God the Holy Spirit would lead through the preaching of this message. That you would cry out to God to open your eyes to your greatest need. Come to Jesus and you will not hunger. Believe in him and you'll never thirst. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you.